You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, by now, um, you know that everything that we hoped to have left in 2020 didn't just stay there, did it? All the emotions, the anxieties, the fears, they didn't just stop when the clock turned midnight on January 1st, did they? There are consequences, there are trajectories, there's implications for things. How we spend our days is how we spend our lives, and how we spend our lives is how we forge a legacy for those who will follow us. Sobering thoughts for these days, isn't it? Put another way, our lives really become the cumulative effect of our habits. And so at the seam of a new year, we're eager to evaluate our old habits and maybe establish some new ones. So like you heard Lori say a few moments ago, this is the second week in our five-week teaching series called Healthy Habits. Last week, we took a look at God's Word. This week, we're taking a look at prayer. I think it's very fitting. Next week, we're going to be talking about fasting, way more than dieting, this ancient practice is a spiritual thing. And then worship, week four, not just our voices, but our lives. And then finally, generosity, not dollar signs, but devotion. Here's the idea, if you're just joining us. I don't think if you're forging habits in your life, I don't think we need habits to keep us busy. I think we should form habits that keep us healthy and satisfied. So we're going to do the same thing we did last week. We're going to draw some encouragement from God's word. We're going to take a look at why prayer is so important. And then beyond encouragement, I want to equip you with some helpful ways to build this habit into your life. So this morning, here's where I want to go. We're going to take a look into the lives of two great prayers, two stumbling saints, two imperfect disciples who are trying to figure this thing out. Then I want to give you 10 tips for how to have a really practical, meaningful prayer life in 2021. Peeking into the window of the prayer lives of these two prayers, we're going to see a common thread, and here it is. Prayer makes me who I need to be, so I can do what God wants me to do. Nehemiah is the first one we're going to take a look at, so you can go ahead and turn there. Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to get there in a second. Nehemiah lived about five centuries before Jesus, a time when God's people were in exile, God's people have been conquered and are living in Persia. They're 900 miles east of this promised land. And if you know the story, Nehemiah's story starts with a burden. Scouts go over to Jerusalem and they bring back a terrible report. The city's destroyed, gates are burned, there's nothing left. And so Nehemiah is heartbroken. It's like seeing your hometown destroyed, the elementary school you grew up leveled. This is a burden seeking a direction. This is, God, something bothers me, and I don't know what to do about it. Will you show me what you want me to do? Ever prayed like that? I have. So if you have, this is going to be for you. After Nehemiah hears the report, here's what he says. Take a look in verse 4. He says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat and wept and mourned for days 
I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands. You notice how he addresses God right up front? We're going to get back to that later, but let's keep going. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you night and day for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Another point we're going to come back to later, confession, something else we're not super good at. Here he keeps going. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples, which is exactly what happened. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are among the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen and I'll make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by the great power and by your strong hand. This is Nehemiah's intersection of God's sovereignty and his burden, this collision. And then verse 11. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Interesting, isn't it, that Nehemiah doesn't really ask anything of God until the very end. How often we invert that. God, here's what's on my mind. Oh, by the way, you're awesome. (laughs) Here's what I want us to see here. For Nehemiah... Prayer and action are not mutually exclusive. They're not opposites. You shouldn't do something without prayer, but you also shouldn't pray and expect to do nothing. Nehemiah saw that prayer and action are necessarily linked. And if that doesn't sound like a timely message for our world this last week, I don't know what does. Personally, this last week for me has revealed how weak my prayer muscles actually are just a little confession for you, and how cowardly my actions or inactions can often be. I'm convinced that one of the reasons why so many Christians live such frustrated lives is we fail to see the connection between meaningful prayer and meaningful action. Hear me, when you follow Jesus, you release your right to do nothing. You don't get to be inactive, but you also release your right to do whatever you want. You got to pray and you have to seek him. See, here's what I see. We err in one of two extremes. First extreme, we just collapse contemplatively into our little monk cell and expect to do nothing. And we'll let somebody else figure out what to do. That's my tendency for what it's worth. Or we have another extreme. We swing really hard the other way. We act on our gut. We shoot from the hip. We think with our mouths open, and then we act surprised when God doesn't bless my great idea. (laughs) God, here's what I want to do. God, here's what I want to see happen. Ready, fire, aim. What do you think? (laughs) Neither of those extremes work, and you know it because you've tried them, and I know it because I've tried them. But we have to ask for a moment, before we hear the corrective from Nehemiah, why do they look so appealing? Pray without acting, and then acting without praying. Why do I want those? I hate to say it because it's going to hurt. We want a life that doesn't need God. 
If I pray without acting, I don't need him. I can just sit there. If I act without praying, I can just do whatever I want. Our world deserves better than that. Our world needs Christians who pray with bold expectation and then act with deep conviction. You with me? One last thought before we move on. Go ahead and throw verse 11 back up there. Tail end of verse 11. Did you catch what he says? What's with that little phrase at the very end? He says, now I was cupbearer to the king. What's with that? That has nothing to do with his prayer. Why does he tack that on there? What's he got? Do you ever feel like your position limits your potential? Saying things like, well, God could never use me to do that. I'm just a stay-at-home parent. Or my past is too messed up. God can't use me. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm brand new to Jesus. I could never tell anybody about him. I just don't have all the answers. I'm figuring this out myself. Following Jesus is not about your position. It's about your potential. It's not about who you think you are. It's who God says you are. Our world is too dark and our times are too chaotic for you to limit yourself to your position. Just a cupbearer. Prayer makes me who I need to be so I can do what God wants me to do. So let's flip the coin. From Old Testament courage to New Testament candor, a similar action-oriented person under the same shepherding hand of Almighty God. But before we get there, I want to invite you to consider something. And tell me if this is true of you. It is of me. More than anything, for me, it's my pride that keeps me from prayer. Because there are few things more offensive to Brandon Marshall's pride than admitting that I need God's help. Why? Well, we're going to see that in somebody who you know really well. If there's anybody in the New Testament that knows about spiritual pride, it's Peter. So go ahead and turn to 1 Peter and take a look at his life. 1 Peter chapter 5. And as you're getting there, quick reminder of who we are dealing with here. This is Peter. This is first one out of the boat, first to sink, Peter. (laughs) This is, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus never heard of him, Peter. This is, the grave is empty, holy mackerel. Speaking of mackerel, I'm going to go fishing, Peter. (laughs) This is how he lives his life. Peter drives me crazy because I see myself in him. So with all that stapled to his rap sheet, Peter, now seasoned with a bit of maturity, here's what Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 5, take a look in verse 6. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Okay, what's that look like? Casting all your anxieties on him. Good words. Why? Because he cares for you. These verses break neatly into three parts. First, Peter tells us what to do. He says, humble yourselves. The word Peter uses here was the ancient word for when a tide recedes out of a body of water. It was this lowering, this emptying of oneself by comparison to what's around it. This is his way of saying, remember who you are. Remember what you're not capable of doing. Humble yourself, not easy in a culture that rewards ambition, ability, advancement, and achievement. Then he says, how do you do that? You're going to humble yourself. How do you do that? Casting all your cares or your anxieties on him. Simplest way to put this is saying, God, help me. Simplest prayers you can ever pray. Help me, help me, help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
all this wordlessness of our emotional life that just washes up on God's shore. And I love the word all there, all of your anxieties. There is no anxiety that you feel that is inappropriate to bring to your heavenly father. Think about that. Nothing you feel is too small for him. Nothing you feel is too big for him. He will welcome you. And then he puts an exclamation point on it by telling us why at the end of verse seven. He said, because he cares for you. And that's the kicker. That's what I love about this passage. God's heart blazes through. I really think, guys, that if we understood how deeply God loves us, we would not be so slow to prayer. If you're a parent, you get this. Joseph, the other day, Joseph asked me, it was the coolest thing. So Joseph's our 15-year-old. And he asked me the other day, he says, hey, Dad, can we talk about something before bed tonight? Just you and me. And if you're a parent, especially of a teenager, you know how rare of a gift that is. I'm like, yes, of course. Like, parents live for this kind of thing, right? This is God's heart. Psalm 103, where he says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. This is Jesus' words, where he says, if you ask for a stone, God's not, or you ask for bread, God's not gonna give you a stone. He knows what you need, and he wants to bless you. He wants to be with you. If we truly understood how deeply God cares for us, we would not be so slow to pray. We would run to him. So why is this kind of all in, Lord, you can deal with it, prayer is so important? Because our world desperately needs to know that there is a God who cares for them. The fact that our God is personal is what separates us from every other world religion. You ever think about that? Buddha doesn't want to know you. Vishnu doesn't want to know you. Allah doesn't want to know you and care for you, but our God is personal. He wants to know you because he cares for you and he loves you because he cares for you. That phrase may be the most astounding truth the world could ever hear. And the peace that God brings you through prayer could be the greatest apologetic for his existence that your world ever sees. Put simply, a peaceful life is a prayerful life. And a prayerless life is a prideful life. And Peter, Peter, Peter knew both of those things. Prayer makes me who I need to be so I can do what God wants me to do. So, just like last week, that's the cookbook. That's the ingredient list. That's why this is important. But now let's take the cookbook to the kitchen. How do I do this? How do I build this habit of prayer in 2021. Last week, I gave you 10 tips to engage God's word. And in case you missed them, uh, those and all the other resources for this series are online, nchapel.online slash habits. You can go check them all out. So today, here we go. 10 tips for a meaningful prayer life. Tip number one, turn down the volume. <laughs> Last week, I tried something that was, for me at least, absolutely horrifying, and I hated it. But it was good for me. Um, I have a relatively short commute to work. It's about 10 minutes from my house to the office, and so 10 minutes from here back home. And so last week, I tried something. Usually, I listen to the morning news, or I tap into whatever Spotify playlist I was rocking out to in my office. But this week, absolute radio silence on the way in and on the way home. I just tried it just to see how much my soul would hate it, and it was terrible. (laughs) Just the hum of a six-cylinder engine. And guess what else I heard? 
squeaky brakes. Just chirping along down there underneath Van Morrison's moon dance. Just, there they go. <laughs> you turn the radio up a little bit more at that point, right? You laugh, but what's the point? Why do we love distraction? We don't realize what we're not hearing in our souls until we turn the volume down. Why do we keep the volume so loud in our lives? Because if I keep the radio up, I don't have to hear things about myself that I don't want to address. (laughs) Distraction hides, distraction masks. Distraction is me saying, I don't want to deal with what's really wrong under the hood. I'm just gonna crank up the knob. That's why our lives are crazy. Our lives are these perpetually allowed things, aren't they? So how do you turn the volume down? A couple quick thoughts for you. This is not a prescription. This is stuff to go think through. For me, that's how I do it. I turn off my phone notifications. Love my phone, you know that. Kinda. (laughs) But notifications automatically put me in a reactive mode. So I turn them off. Another thing I do is I turn off my work email when I get home. Sorry, I do that as your pastor because I have boundaries in my life and you should too. Another thing for your phone, since we're on the subject, use your phone on purpose. When you pick it up, decide why you're picking it up, use it for that purpose, and then put it down and be done with it. So turn down the volume in your life. That's tip number one. Tip number two, pray in a pattern. Pray in a pattern. So once the volume's down, what do you actually say? So this is a pattern that I use in my life. I've used it for a long time. And if you ever wonder how to pray, this is a good thing for you. It's an acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S. I learned this when I was like 11 or something, and it's just always been in here. A, you start with adoration. You start with telling God who he is. God, you're holy. God, you're good. God, you're a never-quitting father. God, you're perfect. This is why biblical literacy is so important. You gotta learn who God is before you can talk to him. That's why Nehemiah started the way he did. You start with adoration. Then C. Adoration is A. C is confession. Confession is me agreeing with God that I am wrong, which is not hard when you start with a high view of God. God, I'm wrong. God, there's so many places in my life this week I've not honored you. God, I confess. I agree with you that I'm wrong. And maybe this will be freeing for you depending upon your church background. You can go right to God about that. You don't need to go through anybody else. That's what Jesus is for. A-C-T, T is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is just what it sounds like, saying, God, thank you for another day. Thank you for breath in my lungs. Thank you for my family. Thank you for even the hard things that you bring to my life. And then S, supplication. How about that for a great old King James word? Supplication is just a fancy way of saying asking. We ask last because all of this has to happen first. This is Nehemiah's prayer. So A-C-T-S, that's tip number two, pray in a pattern. Tip number three, practice private prayer. Robert Murray McShane said it this way. He says, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. What's he mean? Character is not formed in public. Character is revealed in public and is formed in private. You may be a great leader. You may have success at your job. You may have a ton of friends. You may be making a pile of money. You may be looked up to. You may feel really secure in your future. But we are never more ourselves than when we are in private prayer. When I'm alone with God, all pretension falls away. Like I can't project this false self. Like I'm more secure. I can't pretend because he knows me. 
I can't fool him, it's just me. It's honestly one of the most freeing and terrifying places. Private prayer. If you want to get started on that this week, by the way, quick little action step for you. Sign up for our time slot in our prayer room here at North Canton Chapel. Our worship team and a few other volunteers renovated a space back here this week just for this. And it's a beautiful space. I'm gesturing because it's right over there. (laughs) It's a great time. Carve out an hour. You can go online and sign up. nchapel.online slash habits. So pray and don't tell anybody about it. Fast and don't post it. Just pray. That's tip number three. Tip number four. Use scripture as a prompt. Use scripture as a prompt. Scripture is a beautiful template for learning how to pray. The book of Psalms alone, David wonders if God ever abandoned him. Do you ever feel that way? David begs God to not look at his sin. I can get on that with that. David says, God, don't ever take your Holy Spirit from me. I'm there, right? This probably is not an emotion that you can feel that isn't imaged in the book of Psalms already towards people, towards yourself, or towards God. It's all there. Use it as a template. Now, if you're looking for a place to start, I'll give you this one. Start in the 40s, Psalm 40s, 40 through 49. Three of those are these like minor key Psalms for when you're feeling like dealing with suffering. Three of them are how much more reliable God is than any other ruler in the world. That's pretty timely. One of them deals with a confession of sin, and the others are just praising God for who he is. So start in the 40s. These are like training wheels for learning how to encounter God. And as you start praying scripture, here's what you'll find. You'll find that a lot of your prayers are common. These very enduring, abiding human things. You'll also find that God of the universe is interested in your emotional life. How beautiful is that? You'll also find that God's word is richer, fuller, sweeter, and stronger than you would have ever thought it would be. So pray using scripture as a prompt. Tip number five, let's keep rolling. Get comfortable with silence. (laughs) Way easier said than done. Watch. See? Silence, we don't like it. Even like two seconds. You want to hear one of the most encouraging verses in all of scripture? It's Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Here's what it says. We do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. You should draw a lot of comfort for that. Because sometimes all I've got is this wordless ache. I just sit there and go, ugh. Sometimes that's okay. The Spirit, if you are a Christ follower, translates that to something that your Heavenly Father hears. So just sit there in a wordless silence. This isn't Zen, like deaden my emotions. This is prayer, deepen my emotions. Why is silence so important? Because sometimes my emotions don't have names. I've got a lot of them. (laughs) I can only name about five. Silence is a combination of two things, intentional time and intentional space. And so if you go, well, I've got kids, I've got a crazy day, where do I find silence? It could be in the morning before somebody gets up, it could be the evening after everybody goes to bed. Go take a walk. For me, I go walk in the woods. That's where I get alone with God. So find whatever works for you and make it a priority. You just gotta get there. Tip number six, find your seams. Find your seams. Here's what this one means. Maybe you've never thought about it this way, but your day... 
is actually a rhythm that's broken up into different seams, just like a song. There's places where one thing stops and another thing, or one thing stops and another thing starts. These are the seams, these points of transition in your life. Quick story. I had a friend of mine who was trying to kick his chewing tobacco habit. He had chewed since high school, and he's just like, I know I gotta get this out of my life, but it's just a habit. Right? He'd get up in the morning, he'd get in his truck, and he'd take a bit. He'd arrive at the job site, he'd take a bit. He'd stop for lunch, he'd take a bit. He'd leave the job site back in his truck, he'd take a bit. He'd get home, and he'd take a bit. And what he realized was, oh my goodness, those are seams in my day. And he leveraged the power of those seams to form a new habit. He said, what if, at every one of those points, I just pray for my daughter, and I pray for my wife, and I pray for our family, I take all those natural transition points and take my one habit and exchange it for a better one. Those are the seams in your life. So find the seams in your day where you naturally transition. You've probably got like a dozen of them. Now here's the point. All those 30 seconds, those like little 15 seconds, on their own they don't seem like a whole lot. But over the course of a day, that's more than the average American prays. They add up to quite a bit. So six, find your seams. Number seven, this is a quick one. Plan for prayer. Plan for prayer. One of the keys to starting and keeping a new habit is finding out when you're going to actually do it. So set an alarm on your phone. I'm serious. It's a great way to redeem the technology that we use every day. Because here's the thing. I'm forgetful. So are you. I need a reminder. I need some help. Joseph's school bell starts every, or rings every day at 7.20. Karsten's is at 7.25. Hannah's is at 8.20. So I set three alarms on my phone, pray for my kids. If I look at our calendar and Mandy has something big on her day, I set an alarm. Some of you, when you submit a prayer request online, you say, hey, I've got surgery, 8.30 Monday morning. I put an alarm on my phone. Plan for it. You just got to tell your time what to do. That's all it is. Don't vilify the technology. Redeem it for the glory of God. Tip number eight, pray in the common. This one's my favorite. Pray in the common. What do I mean by the common? In the mid-1600s, there was a monk named Brother Lawrence. He was the monastery dishwasher. How'd you like that gig? Not very glamorous, I'm sure. He wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. He talked about praying in the common, and I want to read to you what he says. Here's what he says. And so it is in the kitchen, a place to which I have a great natural aversion, (laughs) that I have accustomed myself to doing everything there for the love of God. I can turn the cake that is frying on the pan for the love of him. In the noise and the clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great a tranquility as if I were on my knees at the Blessed Sacrament. So let's contextualize that, can we? Making pancakes. Shoveling snow. Going out to get your mail. Paying your bills. Doing the laundry. Taking the kids to school. For me, there is more soul work done in the common areas of my life than in this like idealized vision out there somewhere. Here's the point. Your circumstances are not the scapegoat for your lack of prayer life. They should be the forum for it. Because I think we think about this idea like, well, if I just had like this two-week-long mountaintop retreat, I'd be good. No. Your mountaintop is your minivan. 
Your log cabin is your living room. This distant vista somewhere, this is your kitchen table. So let's learn to pray in the common. Yes, Jesus went away, and yes, you should too, but don't let your retreats be the only time you commune with your heavenly father. Tip number nine, pray for others in the moment. Here's the idea. There are very few always in life. Like this is always wrong. This is always right. This will always be here. You can always count on this. But pray for others in the moment. Here's another always that you can count on. And if you're a Christ follower, you know what I'm about to say. You felt this. If you get the urge to pray for somebody, if you feel the Holy Spirit push you, it is always right to pray for them right there. You don't have to wonder about that. So let me just clear that up for you. Five words that I am resolving to change with God's help in 2021. I will pray for you. And with God's help, I want to convert those words into can we pray right now? Over the phone, doesn't matter. My time is not so important that I should postpone prayer and neither is yours. So stop what you're doing, pull over if you're driving and pray for someone or pray with them. If God's laid, your on your, laid them on your heart, you need to do something about it and do it then. So let's pray for others in the moment. Sound good? Tip number 10, last one. The hardest one, wait. This is especially true when you're praying for prayers of direction. Like, God, show me what to do. We want to know what to do. We want to know what choice we should make, what direction we should take. And those are very noble impulses to ask God, show me your will. Show me what to do. What I've learned, and maybe those of you have been walking with Jesus longer than I have, you could corroborate this. There's no such thing as microwave prayers especially when it comes to these burdens that you might have. God wants you to become someone more than he wants you to do something. And he will not hold you accountable for opportunities you missed while he was making you the person you need to be. Go back to Nehemiah. He has this incredible, heartbreaking burden. And then you know what? Five months go by before he says anything to anyone. Five whole months. He keeps a lid on it. I can't keep a lid on it for five minutes. <laughs> What's he doing in that time? Fasting and praying and fasting and praying and fasting and praying. More on fasting next week. Just because you have a burden for something doesn't mean that God's given you the green light for it. You probably need to be formed first. So how do we pray patiently? Here's how I do it. Say, God, give me your direction because I need it and then give it to me in your timing. God, help me to know what to do, but also make me patient. Moses, burdened for God's people, for, and then for 40 years served as a shepherd. Joseph, burdened for his family, and then he was in jail for 13 years. Jeremiah goes, God, use me. Go down to the potter's house and watch. Here's the point. Our burdens are often delayed by our becoming God wants you to become someone more than he wants you to do something. Formation first, direction second. That's what we've been saying all morning. Prayer makes me who I need to be so I can do what God wants me to do. So wait. I know a lot of you uh, were challenged last week um, as we talked about God's word. And my hope is that not, you don't feel shamed by this kind of stuff. I hope you feel equipped by it. My job as your pastor is not to hold this over your head and smack your wrist and go, oh, terrible. But it's to rally with you and say, let's go take this thing together. Let's do this thing. 
Let's get in God's word and let's get on our knees. That's how I want to start my year off. Prayer makes me who I need to be so I can do what God wants me to do. So let's pray to him right now, can we? Father, again, we come to you to confess our need of you. Even to say probably how little we think we need you compared to what we actually do. So Father, would you call us to yourself? I do pray that you give us direction. You'd show us where you want us to go, what you want us to do. But more than anything, God, would you form us into people who love you more than anything. Father, we want to say that we love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces, making much of Jesus every day to everyone.